Amen. This whole last year, as the world has convulsed in various tumults of one kind and another, and I read the lectionary readings and, um, and think about the state of the world, my, I, I only really have one sermon. I've only had one sermon for a year, which is, why don't you just read the darn book? Because it's all there. And it, it almost feels superfluous for me to comment on the text when, to my mind, the text is so obvious. And that is, again, true this morning. I, I, we, have a, we have this amazing piece from Paul. Um, about the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit and about freedom and about crucifying the desires um, and and we're in a political time when the word freedom is one of the hot words right now and there's a certain segment that has claimed it very dramatically and loudly um, and certainly from my perspective the l- people who are loud who are the loudest to yell about freedom are in fact the most coercible and coerced, um, the most enslaved by the passions. And I don't know how many of you read Cynthia Bourgeau's piece, which is very much on point. I put it on the uh, Thursday newsletter because I liked it so much. Um, and, but she contrasted this baby boom era enthusiasm for authenticity. And I'm, I'm there, you know. I want, I've always wanted to be authentic. A good person is an authentic person. But that, that, that desire for authenticity, which is to be in your emotions, to be authentic to your emotions, stands in tension with the Desert Father's wisdom that the passions are not all good. The passions can lead you down some very, very dark paths. Now, the, the Desert Fathers um, were, were of the view that you need to crucify the flesh and its desires, and, and that's, that's the place where I'm going to start, because I don't think it's as easy as saying, all right, I'm just not going to be passionate anymore. I don't think that works. I think you can deny your feelings, your emotions, you can suppress them, but as I hope all of us know, suppressing your emotions and pretending they're not there doesn't make them go away. It, in fact, blinds you to how they continue to pull the strings behind the curtain. And so the, the issue of the relationship between our emotional life and our spiritual life is very much a live one. And so this is where Paul's um, reflections are strikingly contemporary. Um, when, when he's talking about the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit, I have to put it in a little bit of context. He's talking to the Galatians, um, and their big problem, according to Paul, was that they were... Um, they believed that in order to be the best Christians possible, they had to start by being the best Hebrews possible and following the law. And, of course, circumcision was the, the mark on the flesh of being a law-abiding Hebrew child of God. Um, and, I, you know, I, uh, there's a wonderful digression. I'll just give you a taste of it, but it's really fun. Um, but why gentle mutilation is so important to ancient Hebrews... Uh, is tied to their understanding of human biology 
and sexuality where, because they don't understand genetics. They didn't understand that the woman provided 50% of the genetic material for a baby. Their only understanding was based on what they experienced, which is the man provides the seed and the woman provides the soil. So the woman is the place where the baby grows, but the, all the substance that, that created this, the baby only comes from the man. So you consecrate the male genitalia to God because your job is to create children to Abraham. It is spiritual. It is their identity. It is their nationality. It is, it is who they are, consecrated to God by a mark in the flesh, like a tattoo, only even more painful. Um, so, so circumcision is a big deal, and it meant a lot, and it meant a lot for all kinds of actually pretty good reasons if you put yourself in that mindset. Um, and so for the Galatians to recognize all that and say, okay, well, we want to be good followers of Jesus, but we also want to be children of the covenant, and those two things go together, made a kind of sense to them. And Paul, who was circumcised, who, who was a, um, a, a paragon of that particular way of being in relationship to God, and had thrown it in the trash, I, I count all of that as crap. In fact, there's a better word to translate it, but I won't sully the pulpit with it. Um, but you get into the Greek, and that's street Greek for feces, and we know what English word that is. I, I have the prophet, and the, I have the prophets, and I have the. Um, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm mangling the quote, but 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 Paul talks about how he's a child of the covenant. He is a Jew. He you know circumcised on the eighth day. He did all the things, and I count that as crap for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. And so Paul had this insight, which I believe was divinely inspired, and why it's in Scripture, that that all of that good stuff is. Still not quite it. Still not quite it. And Paul ties that together with these ideas of slavery in the flesh and the law, which is good, but it's not good enough because we need the spirit, which is that next level above the law. And in Paul's mind, the law is good because it forces you to struggle against the passions and desires of the flesh, right? And uh, to take more contemporary and a little bit... um, fun angle. Um, let's, let's talk about uh, the passions and how they manifest in contemporary relationships, say. So girlfriend, very angry at boyfriend, sets the bed on fire. Um, and then why did you do that? I'm a passionate person, okay? I'm just passionate. Well, yes, you are. You're having very strong feelings. That's good. But at some level, you thought it was okay to set the bed on fire or else you wouldn't have done it. And so there are some values at play and not just your emotions. And uh, to get a little darker, guys who hit women. You know, well, I, she made me so angry. She said things that hurt my feelings. Well, she probably did. But at some level, you thought it was okay to hit her. And so you can't just say, well, I, I'm just a passionate guy. Okay. Not okay. So you start with the problems of the passion and the law is the next level. And so if you hit women, you go to jail. Oh, maybe I won't hit a woman then. Well, that's good. That's better than hitting women. But it's still not a transformation of the heart. You still haven't become the better person. And for those of us that are working on that law basis, it's still rooted in the flesh. It's still at some level because we fear consequences of misbehavior, not because we have changed as people. So the law works to a degree. It improves the behavior but it doesn't change the heart. 
And what Paul discovered was that the change of heart that he, that he was able to achieve came by meeting Jesus. And it was the relationship with Jesus that took him outside of the law. The law was not irrelevant. It still pointed the direction towards righteousness. But it wasn't enough in it enough itself. It couldn't do it. And so the law itself, there's a next level which is based on that relationship. And so you start living in the spirit. You actually leave the flesh behind, not in the sense that you've abandoned it, but in, in the sense that your values and your, your, the core of your being is no longer being governed by the, the instincts of the flesh. It's no longer your lusts and passions and desires on the one hand. It's not even your fear of punishment for violating the law, which is still some level animalistic or, or instinctive. We, we don't want to get in trouble because getting in trouble feels bad. And so if there's a law in place, we try not to get in trouble. And it's still, this, it's still on that same level, is, which is Paul's um, insight, which I think is still applicable today. I've talked about the, um, the irony of online forums and uh, comment sections of newspapers and so forth, where anonymity allows people to say things they would never say face-to-face, but it reveals who they really are, because the reason they're not saying it face-to-face is that they're afraid of the consequences that would ensue. And the great thing about the internet is there are no consequences. I can say what I really think, and nobody's going to hit back. Um, so, so the law only takes us so far. So when we're talking about freedom, what is freedom? Is the, is the question that Paul puts to the Galatians. And he's, he's talking to people that are still stuck in the flesh, as far as Paul is concerned. So they need, they need the Corinthian side, but he's already written to the Corinthians about the problems on the other side. And so he's careful in this, uh, uh, in this little passage to say, don't make the same mistakes the Corinthians made. Don't think that freedom means the freedom to go back into the passions of your flesh. That's a step backwards. We're looking for a step forward. And, a, and the freedom is the freedom to be who you were meant to be. And that's, it's subtle. When I put it that way, there's an easy mistake for Christians and other people of faith to, to make when they say, I'm free to be who I was meant to be, so that's who I should be, so I'm going to force myself to be who I should be. And there you're back into that same law-based mode. Because at some level, you're still afraid of getting into trouble. But except you're not going to get into trouble from human authorities, you're afraid that God will reject you or punish you or something along those lines. It's still law-based. It's still not free. The freedom is when you, when, when you, you find yourself not trapped by the passions, by the fears, you're actually being who you were meant to be because you were created that way. And the closest I can get intuitively to what that feels like is that when, that when I am angry at someone, there's, there, there are levels to how I'm feeling. On the surface, there's anger. Underneath that is probably some kind of hurt or fear, which is manifesting as anger. And underneath the hurt and the fear is this deep desire for us to be at peace, 
for this deep desire for me to be safe with them and for them to be safe with me. And if I can get past the anger and if I can get past the fear, I can get to that deep place of a common longing that I share with them. And so we can reconcile if we are at odds. If I genuinely want the best for them and to be at peace with them and they genuinely want to be at peace with me, we can be angry with each other but we can, we can rest in those deeper values and find our way there. And so we are working our way towards freedom. It's not because we should be at peace and we are afraid of getting in trouble with God if we're not at peace. It's because something at the core of our being, being desperately wants to be there. We, we feel it. We know it. And when we are in touch with that deepest level of our being, we are free. It's those more surface levels that tangle us up and that, that, that twist us and make us into who we were not meant to be and who we don't want to be. So when Paul talks about freedom and the various, um, uh, the various characteristics about how that freedom manifests, peace, patience, self-control, love, kindness, compassion, all that kind of place in, the, in human relationships is at some level the most natural place for us to be. And it's the stuff that gets in the way, our passions and our desires in the, in the first case, but even our, our fear of getting into trouble in the second place. And as Christians, we are called to get past that. So, um, so I think that is more fair to what Paul was talking about, about living in the spirit as opposed to living in the flesh. That when we are in the spirit, we are connected, we are in relationship with Jesus, and we are, by virtue of being in relationship with Jesus, in relationship with the deepest reality within ourselves, which we can actually feel and experience if we can get past those other layers of anger, fear, resentment, all the things that are getting in the way. And if we do that... Um, we're not going to be charging around yelling about freedom. That's, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to be living out of that freedom. We're going to be engaged in genuine healing relationships with our neighbors. We are going to be loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors ourselves. And that looks a little bit different um, than, than what gets loudly proclaimed under the banner of freedom. So my only goal this morning is to say, as Christians... We need to not be under any illusions about what Christianity looks like. Uh, it doesn't look like angry, violent, political reactionaryism. It doesn't. It, it looks like love. It looks like kindness. It looks like peace. It looks like compassion for everyone, even those with whom we strongly disagree or even those whom we fear. Um, that's Christianity. That is, in fact, us being more free and less compelled and buffeted and imprisoned by all the forces that seek to keep us from who we were meant to be. So we practice those virtues together as a microcosm in a congregation that we don't all get along, that's fine, but we all keep pushing ourselves to that deep place where, where our, our goals are the same. We want to be in love and charity and peace with each other. And so we take for granted that each other in this place are committed to that and we work on how to get there. So the gift of church, the challenge of church, is to live up to that vision of what freedom is. And in as much as we approximate that here in this life and in this community, we are approaching that freedom that is our gift and our calling and is our gift to the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
We stand and affirm our faith together. Hear, O Israel, the Lord.